0: Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 21st, we are studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount. He names his disciples the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and then he goes on to describe how his teaching and work relate to the word of God that is found in the law and the prophets. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks, good to be with you.
0: Pastor Preuss, as we get started today, give us some context. We've only gone a few verses here in the Sermon on the Mount, so whatever we need to pull out of that to help us understand, and anything that came beforehand in Matthew's Gospel, help us out with that context that will help us today.
1: Sure. So Jesus has begun his Sermon on the Mount, and he started with the Beatitudes, uh, the blessings that are kind of considered the doorway into the sermon itself, without understanding the Beatitudes as uh, that which actually gives the disciples uh, the blessing, makes them followers of Christ and, and those who have faith in him. Uh, then we're not going to really understand the calling that we're going to kind of get into today. And that actually goes through the entire sermon uh, where we see what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. And there's so much that he unpacks. Uh, We'll get started with that a little bit today. But uh, ultimately, what we're going to discuss today uh, has to be understood through the disciples that Jesus is speaking to, uh, actually being the ones who are already believers, uh, and they're not just kind of your, you know, somebody that you'd want to go and, and make into a Christian. He's, he's talking to those who believe in, in him, uh, Jesus is, and he wants them to further uh, understand what that means for them to be those who do trust in him, who are the blessed in this world. And so that's what this is going to be unpacking for us as we get more into this Sermon on the Mount of our Lord.
0: Could you expand a little bit more on that, that idea that the Beatitudes are the doorway into the Sermon on the Mount? We, we talked about the Beatitudes on yesterday's show, uh, but just to, as a way to continue forward, what's, what's so important there in the Beatitudes that provides the entrance that you, you just can't miss going forward?
1: Right. Well, when Jesus starts this, he is uh, he speaks to them as those who are are presently blessed in one way, and also are going to have a future blessing of salvation. And uh, what we mean about you know calling it the doorway uh, to enter into the rest of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're trying to say is that uh, the disciples are are those who are in a certain condition. They are poor in spirit. They're the spiritually poor. Uh, and that's an objective thing. Everyone is spiritually poor, uh, but they have the blessing of knowing Christ. Theirs is the kingdom of, of God, uh, the, the reign of God that that. Christ is ruling over them, that he has brought them to uh, repent of their sins, to see themselves as poor in spirit, and to see themselves then as the poor in spirit to be blessed because they have Christ. They have the one who is reigning over them with his gifts that come from heaven, uh, the, the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation, as we typically say as Lutherans, um, uh, they have uh, a proper understanding, at least to uh, a certain extent, of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And so with all of the blessings uh, upon them already, th- th- they are the ones who have, have mourned over their sin, uh, who see themselves as poor in spirit, yet they are blessed in Christ and they're, they're comforted. Uh, at the very end of the Beatitudes, we actually see that Jesus uh, is speaking kind of generally at first, you know, blessed are they. Uh, but here at the end, uh, as we're entering into our text for today, we see that he actually switches the way he talks. Um, no longer does he say they, but he starts saying you to his disciples. And he continues on doing that, talking directly to the disciples as those who are blessed, as those who do have faith in him, who cling to his righteousness. Uh, and, and as he speaks to them in that way, he's, he, he is very it's very clear that he's speaking to those who believe in the promise of of, of a present and future blessing that Jesus is giving to them, um, that he is giving to them with authority, as we'll, we'll see uh, throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as God's Son, the one who is revealing the truth uh, to them uh, that, that the Father has for them.
0: And seeing the Beatitudes as an entrance, a doorway into the sermon, then will help us, hopefully, not take the sermon as some sort of just moral teaching. This is how to be a good person. We're not going to get into too much of that today. Those those expounding upon the commandments come a bit later, but, but today when we think of salt of the earth, light of the world, this is more than just sort of a generic make the world a, a better place kind of talk, but rather being in the world as those who trust in Christ. That's that's how the Beatitudes then serve as the, the entrance. It, it keeps it focused on, on Christ rather than just some sort of generic moral teaching.
1: Exactly, yeah, and it's so important for us as Christians to realize that, I mean, the law is written upon man's heart, and we've erased it uh, in so many ways, and we see that in, in our own lives and the lives of others, that uh, sin has done this, but we uh, as as Christians uh, can still see that the law is written on, on the heart of man, and so what is it that's distinctive about about these teachings that Jesus is going to be giving us uh, he's, he's digging in much deeper than just teaching us about the law he's teaching about his fulfillment of the law and the prophets and, and everything in the Old Testament he's teaching us what it means to be those who trust in him and how that looks and uh, and why this is important how, how we as Christians as we bear Christ in this world that's why we're called Christians right uh, is that we we're going to uh, be able to give them not just the the teaching of of the law but uh, most particularly of the gospel of jesus christ and and by doing so uh, people will will come to faith themselves by hearing the gospel uh, and and so w- yeah we want to focus make sh- make sure we focus on Jesus himself as we go through all of these teachings that he's the only one Uh, who can make any of this uh, into good news for us. Otherwise, I mean, it it looks pretty, uh, I mean, especially as you get into uh, the next few days when you go through, you know, murder and adultery and and whatnot, uh, it can become quite uh, condemning to us. And only that if we don't see that he is speaking to Christians, uh, those who believe. Um, There's more to it than just the condemning uh, of the law. Uh, there's there's the understanding that Christ Himself has already blessed us, and He is He is uh, putting us forth as the salt and the light because we have already His righteousness, His forgiveness, His eternal life, uh, and so that'll form everything that we're gonna we're gonna talk about.
0: So with that introduction, let's let's listen to the text that we've got before us today. This is Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse thirteen. Jesus continues, "You are the salt of the earth." For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the text we've got for us today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. So, Pastor Preuss, Jesus has moved from the Beatitudes, from this general blessed are those, then to blessed are you, and then he he takes us into you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. What's What's the connection between the blessing and salt and
1: light? Right, so here he is telling them that this is who they are uh, in this world. The world does not have this saltiness, it does not have the light of the world, who is Christ himself. And so uh, this is who they are now. They are the ones who know Christ. They are the ones who are going to be able to salt and give light to the world because they will be able to give to the world Christ uh, and what he teaches, most especially his gospel, uh, the good news that he is the savior of the world and has come in order to bring them salvation and his righteousness. So nobody else on earth has this calling. Uh, you, you, we've probably said this many times you know, as pastors, and, and you, you hear this around, that if we don't speak God's word and the truth of God's word, who is going to? You know, if we don't speak Christ, who else is going to be doing this? They don't. Nobody just naturally does this. And so He's telling them that they are, by definition, who they are. Now is that they are salt for this earth. They are light for this world. Uh, and this seems like a, a very tall task because it is. But they need not fear because everything that they are going to hear in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is going to teach here should be read in light of their identity as as those who are blessed in him, that they have the objective uh, reality that in Jesus Christ, they are blessed. They, the poor in spirit, uh, have him reigning over them in his kingdom with his grace, with his mercy, with his forgiveness, and that that defines who they are so that this calling that they have as the salt and the light uh, is is not to be looked at as, as some sort of impossible thing, but rather as that which is formed by Christ and formed by his uh, calling him the salt, really, and him the light, so that then the disciples can be seen as the salt and the light uh, as they are giving him out and, and living the, the Christian life, giving out the gospel, preaching the gospel, proclaiming that. Uh, and so this whole sermon that, that we're going to hear is really, uh, is a commentary on how and where these disciples, uh, those who are the blessed, Will carry out being the salt and the light uh, to this world. Hmm.
0: Yesterday with the Beatitudes, we talked, we, we posed the question: is this law or gospel? And, and we really we had a hard time saying if it really is one or the other. And, and it sounds like that conversation is continuing here with this matter of you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Is this law or gospel? It, it's certainly not a command in the sense of, you know, you shall have no other gods is a command, but at the same time, it's, it's also not the declaration of, of forgiveness of sins. How does how does this passage fit into what we typically talk about when in terms of law and gospel?
1: Well, when we are dealing with any type of uh, description, uh, we have to ask ourselves, what in what way does Jesus want them to look at themselves as the salt of the earth? Uh, and he immediately starts talking about the salt losing its taste and that if it loses its taste, it it doesn't do anyone any good. And so while the you are the salt of the earth, describing them as the salt of the earth would be a gospel statement, it has law... Uh, consequence you know in our Christian lives the consequence or the, the ramification, the how do I want to put this that which which flows from being the salt of the earth is going to mean that we have things that we are to do so the disciples have things that they are to do and that is law and he is trying to I guess at the same time he is uh, warning them, admonishing them uh, that as the salt of the earth, they're not going to be doing any good. If they are uh, not that salt for this world, the world's not going to benefit from it. So, uh, I, I, w- I would maybe you know sometimes we get into the law of gospel. What is this law of gospel? Uh, Jesus isn't really uh, doing that right now. He's just simply describing who they are, and and obviously that's a gospel thing. I mean, th- to be the salt of the earth. Why on earth are you the salt of the earth? How how, how did you become salt? What does that even mean that you're salt? Well, it's it means that you have a different relationship toward this world than you once did. Uh, you can't be the salt for the world unless God has made you into that salt. So I, I would take that to be a gospel statement, uh, but that the salt then is, is useful for something. Obviously, that goes us brings us into the law and what we should be doing. It's hard to navigate it sometimes. I think sometimes we... we uh, Are so into is this law or gospel that we can lose sight of what the text is actually trying to communicate and then try to force our law gospel kind of structure onto the scriptures rather than let the scriptures speak and then kind of seeing how it's one part of it would be taken as as the gospel, the other part as law. Um, A lot of this is what we call, we end up calling third use of the law too, um, that that what is it that God has for our lives? The will that He has for our lives um, as Christians, right? And and that that's that's why I think sometimes we get confused is that it's only as Christians that we have, we are the salt, and and that the disciples are the salt or the light. Um, without being Christians, there is no salt and light. So, yeah, I know. I'm guessing this is the same thing that. Uh, a lot of people deal with as they go through the the Sermon on the Mount is that there's a whole lot of of, uh, back and forth with, since you are Christians, since you believe in Jesus, since you have the blessing of Jesus, you know, that means this, you know, and uh, so you're going to have a lot of that uh, maybe kind of confusion in some people's minds uh, as to which one we're dealing with it at which time.
0: Sure, and I, I think that's a you have a very helpful answer that you gave. and and sometimes we are too quick to try to pin a text down and say, this is law always or this is gospel always. And and yet, as, as you've described, and going back even to what we were saying at the beginning that the beatitudes serve as the entrance saying okay you are christians and this is how that's gospel now what as christians well you are salt and light and that does function as law and that's not that's not bad it it is going to accuse us as as we know but then that that drives us back to the beatitudes as as the gospel the entrance into this as as christians again and that's a, a great answer pastor price and I don't want to sidetrack our conversation on on that too far so to stick with with well what is this text saying to us then We've got Jesus saying, "You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world." So, let's talk about salt first. Why? Why salt? What's the comparison Jesus is making here?
1: So, salt is used in different ways in in uh, that time period. You have sacrifices would use salt, uh, preservatives. We kind of know it that way ourselves, and seasoning. I think is probably the most the most. Uh, Familiar to to all of us who might cook ourselves, um, uh, also manure. Um, in in many ways, it's it's used. But the general point uh, is that the earth needs salt because it is deficient, right? Uh, this soup needs salt. Uh, why? Because it's deficient. It doesn't have enough. It doesn't it doesn't taste right. Uh, and so there there's some sort of deficiency in this world. We would call that evil, corruption, sin. Uh, Who can provide the salt that is going to help us or help uh, get that so that it's not deficient anymore? Well, only only Jesus and the disciples can provide that salt. Why the disciples? Not because of anything in themselves, but because, again, they have been blessed. They are the blessed ones who uh, who are, are poor in spirit in and of themselves but uh, because of the reign of jesus the kingdom of jesus coming to them uh his kingdom from heaven that he he has blessed them with the knowledge of who he is as their savior Uh, and this brings them into uh, this new position this new identity this new relationship um and and how did this come about well it came about the same way it comes about for us repent Repent for uh, Jesus. In Jesus, the reign of heaven stands near. The kingdom of God is here. So it is through repentance that we see in our sin, our corruption, uh, the evil in this world, that we see that we need salt. And uh, if we don't have that salt, if we don't have Jesus, then we, just like the disciples, if they were to turn away from that calling to be salt for the world and 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 uh, manifest Christ in this world uh, through the words that they they proclaim most especially they would become tasteless Uh, and how else then would the world receive this necessary blessing they wouldn't be able to do it and so the salt is meant to to show that uh, without without these disciples without them proclaiming Jesus there's nobody's going to to get out of the corruption and the evil that they have. they they're going to remain deficient, and uh, there'll be nobody to give the salt out in this world. So he's he's accenting their the importance of the office that they uh, will hold as his his disciples and, and then apostles as he sends them out uh, later, and that all all Christians, the church itself holds that uh, without the Christian Church, there is no salt in this world. The corruption, the deficiency of this world will continue. Uh, But with the salt, uh, then it changes lives in the sense of repentance and and, and faith in Christ and and, uh, His reign over us by His grace.
0: When Jesus talks about salt that loses its saltiness, that's then no longer good for anything just to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet, is He well, how, how far is he talking there? Is he talking about Christians who have lost their faith, or is he talking about perhaps something that's not quite as severe as that?
1: Yeah, um, I think he's just trying to tell them that uh, it's, it makes no sense for you to become those who trust in me and then not to benefit others with this knowledge. So it's pretty useless for Jesus to give them his word and these blessings uh, that he, they've received in the Beatitudes and in this knowledge of him, and then for them to just kind of keep quiet about it. Uh, and so whether he's talking about them, you know, falling away, you know, obviously Judas fell away and, and um, or all the disciples kind of running away, which they all did at the, at the cross of Christ. I think he's he's more trying to get them to think uh, that, oh yeah, that's right. It, it really wouldn't make sense for you to make us salt and then for us not to season, for us to be the salt, see that there are things that are deficient in these sinful people in this evil world and then just not use the salt that you've given us to to change that deficiency and to to, uh, to sprinkle the salt upon those who need uh, Jesus and need to know uh, who he is. Again, who's going to do this? So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't really know if Jesus is trying to talk about uh, somebody becoming, you know, just having a lapse or, you know, like we're all sinners kind of a thing. Or if he's talking about people falling away, I think it's more just, you're pretty useless if you don't do what salt is actually given to do. If if I just keep the salt in the cupboard and my soup doesn't taste like anything but just you know unsalted soup, it's not doing the soup or those who are tasting it any good. And so if you want people to taste the good soup, then put the salt in it. So, too, if you want people to know who Jesus is and actually enjoy what it means to be a Christian and have the joy of Christ and the knowledge of salvation and him and his righteousness covering your sin and and God's love showered upon you. Well, then you need to be uh, acting like those who actually believe this and and living a life uh, and proclaiming a word that is going to manifest this uh, to this world that is deficient.
0: So perhaps it, it's more of Jesus is throwing out a, just an absurd example to get them to to think. Oh, Christ did make me salty salt. So here I go as His blessed one to now season the earth. And I, I like the way that you you've put this for us. That because salt can seem a at least for me it, it often seems a very static thing. It just sits there in the shaker on my table. But it it doesn't. It's not intended to sit in that shaker. It it is intended to. To season, salt is is doing something. It's seasoning the world, the world, and so that that's how Jesus is using the the term salt here. That that it would season, and I, I like the way too that you've you've just sort of you've made it general for us. That this is we're not trying to be too specific. Is this preservation? Is this taste sacrifices? But rather, something's lacking, and only Christians have that. And that, that is the, the proclamation of Christ and then the, the good works that accompany it, as we'll see as, as Jesus moves forward. Anything more? We've got just under a minute and a half here left on this side of the break. Anything to, to kind of wrap up this conversation about salt before we move on to, to light on the other side?
1: No, I think that the light will help us kind of understand a little bit more about the salt. I mean, Jesus is not trying to come up with a entirely new uh, general statement, he's just using another example kind of like we would uh, use several examples to uh, teach uh, a truth. That uh, And so I think that with the salt, just a, a reminder that there's something deficient in this world. If it's not the disciples and the followers of Christ who are going to change that deficiency based upon what Christ himself has given, then it's not going to be changed. It's, they're, they're, if we don't speak, who will? Uh, if we don't uh, show forth the love of Christ, uh, by the way that we proclaim His Word and and then the resulting works that come from faith, uh, then then it's not going to happen and the world will remain deficient and no one will be able to hear that the the, the proclamation of of who Christ is, our Savior, the Son of God, uh, come come down to this earth to to give us what only He can give us, uh, eternal life and salvation through His cross and resurrection.
0: You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through twenty. We're gonna take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, January 21st, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20 with Pastor Stephen Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at what Jesus is saying when he calls the disciples the salt of the earth, and then he moves on to a very similar idea, a related thing, you are the light of the world. Why light?
1: Yeah, Jesus is the light, and and this is why they are the light. Uh, and we've heard this already in chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, This is a great uh, text for uh, Epiphany, that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And that's the whole Galilee of the Gentiles prophecy from Isaiah that's fulfilled in, in Jesus. So Jesus is the light of the world, but then he tells his disciples that they are the light of the world. So what what is, is he talking about here? Well, that uh, only Jesus and the disciples uh, are going to be able to bring a light to the darkness that is in this world. And again, darkness, we know in Scripture, throughout Scripture, is uh, symbolic of, of evil, of danger, of being lost, that you don't know where you're going that there, there is something out there, uh, and there is a danger there, and, and that danger is, is is the evil, the devil, the evil one himself. And so uh, the general point is that Jesus' disciples, because they have become his disciples, are the world's light, just like they are salt. They are the world's light. Uh, and so if the disciples were to turn away from this calling, just like if they were to turn away from being the salt of the earth, if they would turn away from being the light of the world, what would happen? Well, uh, you're heading toward a mountain, and then you are in pitch dark, and you see a light, and you say, "Okay, good, I can see the light." But if you put out that light, you wouldn't know where to go. You are you're in complete darkness. No no pilgrim would be able to come to them. Nobody who is wandering in this world would be would know where to go in order to know God and to know His Son Jesus and to know what the truth is, and and so too the whole idea of covering a lamp. Um, that that's kind of the image more of a household right where you wouldn't spread light into the house why would you cover the lamp you want the lamp to to spread and give light to the whole household Uh, that the whole point here is the same point that was there with the salt that there'd be no remaining way for the world to receive the necessary blessing of Christ the blessing of knowing Jesus by faith trusting in him for salvation, knowing him as the one who's atoned for their sins uh, by his death on the cross and gives them uh, the righteousness that covers their sin uh, in his resurrection. Uh, this, this, is, this is why the light, there is darkness out there, and we're the only ones, those who know Jesus truly and know his word and cling to his word, we're the only ones who are going to be able to shine this light uh, into the darkness of this evil world. Obviously, Jesus is speaking first to those disciples who become apostles, but then to the Church uh, in every generation after.
0: Jesus does make it very plain here that this is a, a matter of visibility. He talks about things being seen, and so he's talking about good works that need to be seen, and, and it seems that perhaps this stands in a bit of contrast to something Jesus is going to say later in the Sermon on the Mount. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about giving to the needy and praying, and he's going to talk about fasting, and he's going to talk about doing these things in secret. Here he says things need to be done so that they can be seen. What's what's the difference, Pastor Price? Why why do these good works need to be seen?
1: Yeah, these good works, I mean, what he is referring to uh, is for is... First and foremost, the, the work that they will be doing, I mean, their office is different than that of every individual Christian. They are the apostles first, and they will be proclaiming Jesus as the light of the world. And if we do not uh, act like Christians who confess Christ, uh, and to confess is that which is born of faith, but it is that which comes uh, forth from faith. It's not faith itself. We speak out a word of confession. Why are you living the way you're living, right? Or or why are you you saying the things that you're saying? Um, This this is how it all works. When we cling to Jesus, these, these men, they're going to be proclaiming Jesus, and they're going to be doing so both by the proclamation of the Gospel that we know is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but also, they're going to be living lives that are going to be visibly different in certain ways than that of of others. And the the question will be, why are you doing that? And the confession will always be uh, that they are doing it because they have been made the light of the world by the light of the world. They want to point you to Jesus. They want you to know Jesus as those who are poor in spirit, just like they are, the disciples know themselves as those who mourn over their sin and the present situation of this world, and they want to uh, bring others to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, the idea that you know works, faith—we're saved through faith alone, but faith uh, is never alone. It always comes with these good works. And so, these these uh, this faith is evidenced by by the way that they live. And so, all of that's kind of uh, tied up in how. People are going to see this uh, just as God sees our hearts and sees our faith, uh, others will see our confession, and and uh, as we confess, uh, it will bring about others to then be able to hear the truth of Jesus Christ and become the salt and the light themselves.
0: If I'm understanding you correctly, then the works need to be coupled with a, a confession, or, or the works need to go with the words that we speak we don't we don't separate those two things is that is that true
1: yeah i mean you know like the old song they will know we are christians by our love right well no uh only in the sense that that the love is flowing from faith and that Mm. uh the faith is also confessed um we are not simply christians because we do good works because we love um no we love and do good works because we are christians because we have faith in jesus christ created by his word by the holy spirit through that word uh in order to bring us to to uh, a knowledge of the truth of, of jesus christ and and so yeah we we have to be careful not to present the life of the christian as if it is all by itself um going to uh, our works by themselves are going to bring people to the faith. So you know the old saying too that people will say, uh, I forget what it's, is it Francis Assisi or something like that, where preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Have you heard that? Yeah, right. Right it, now
0: actually, there's a there's a local uh, another church sign in in town here that that says something to the effect of, um, be careful how you live. You might be the only Bible people read which I think is, is maybe a, a similar idea to, yeah, yeah, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. What, what's maybe not quite all the way right about that, Pastor Preuss?
1: Well, the problem is, is that uh, the, the, the Bible is, uh, is clear on how our good works certainly will cause people to maybe ask us questions as to why we are doing what we are doing. But it it is not, our good works are not going to by themselves create faith in anybody. Um, Somebody might say, well, wow, that was a very kind thing that you did by, you know, helping that person out, by giving them money for, you know, their rent or something like that. Uh, You know, you must be a good Christian. Well, the problem is, is that there are people who can do that who are not Christians right it's certainly a good christian thing to do to help people out and the poor and 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 to take care of others and to do good works that are in accord with god's will but the problem is is that people are hypocrites too and do it for other reasons than than faith in christ and so that by itself is 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 not the gospel the gospel is the proclamation of of forgiveness in jesus that jesus is the savior of the world and if you don't get to the confession of that then it's not exactly—it's uh, not the gospel. It's—it's it's just a uh, a way for you to show that you you do something for a particular reason without ever telling them the reason for why you're doing it. The hope that is within you. So, yeah, it's—I think some people mean well by that kind of a thing. They're trying to encourage people toward good works, but they're actually doing damage by creating this idea that. Uh, works are, are the main emphasis of the Christian religion, uh, and that we don't really need the word of Jesus, as if the word of Jesus is just kind of like, okay, it gets you in, but then once you're in, you need to just focus on good works and getting more people to come in and, and do these good works. Uh, and And it, it can really burden a Christian conscience into thinking that that faith in Jesus Christ is not the essence of what it means to be a Christian from which flow these good works, but rather I need to be this perfect, um, you know, exemplary Christian. It actually can lead to Phariseeism, uh, which Mm -hmm. Jesus condemns in this sermon, um, instead of true uh, viewing yourself as poor in spirit, who's clinging to the blessing of Christ, that he reigns over you with his grace and his kingdom.
0: Mm. Uh, that That's a very helpful answer. And I, I think, too, just, and uh, we're running a long time, but I, I want to bring this out, too, because I, I think the other thing that, that often happens is when we start talking about the good works, which, again, we're not discouraging good works by any means. Certainly, Christ is, is commending them to us. But, but I think what happens in our context, especially, is that when we start talking about the good works that Christians do, our minds sort of drift to the works of the second table, the works that that help our neighbor, and for some reason we we forget about the works of the first table, the works by which we love God, which would include the things we're talking about, the proclamation of his word, the the hearing of his word, praying, worshiping him, right? And, and we forget that those two are good works that shine a light on on our Father in heaven and, and invite others to glorify him. Any final comments on that, Pastor Price? before we
1: move on? No, that was exactly right, too. I mean, I, I, I find that so often that, you know, we're told to go and, and uh, you know, feed the poor and take care of the sick and, and you know, kind of all the Matthew 25 uh, things that Jesus says are done to his brothers, the least of his brothers are done to him. And certainly we, we, we do not want to discourage it, especially as we're in the context of this Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus is encouraging a lot of that. Uh, but you're exactly right that people forget the first three uh, commandments, and, and that's really what the Beatitudes were bringing us to, is, is that we are now uh, brought to faith in Jesus. We are blessed. We who are poor in spirit, who have been brought to repentance and trust in Christ and, and, and remain in that, who have his mercy. That's why we are merciful, who have the peace of God, which passes all understanding in Christ Jesus, which is why we are then want to proclaim the peace of God and, and have peace with others in our lives. Uh, so yeah, we we need to be careful not to leave Jesus behind, as if, okay, thanks, Jesus, now now I'm going to go on and live this Christian life that you've given me, as if he's not with us, right? As if he's not the one who is constantly comforting us with that pure gospel uh, that's given to us in the Beatitudes.
0: So then, moving forward into the text, Jesus begins to talk about the law and the prophets and his role as fulfilling them, and it, it certainly seems that these next several verses serve as a a transition of some kind within the Sermon on the Mount. What's the move that Jesus begins to make as he moves from salt and light to now the fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets?
1: Yeah, he's, he's now going to tell them how this all relates to the Old Testament word. I mean, we've got to realize that the context here is that these disciples, uh, they are Jews and they know the Scriptures, at least they, they are uh, familiar with them, and as they hear the prophecies of the Old Testament, and now they've got this, this new man here before them who they are coming to know and believe in, uh, what is his relationship to this Old Testament? Is he, is he coming to give us something, something different? Uh, is he, is he going to do away with everything in the Old Testament? Uh, what exactly is going on? Uh, how does he relate to this Old Testament word? Is, is really what those verses 17 and 18 uh, are, are meant to answer that question. And Jesus wants them to know, you know, as I am going to be teaching you, here to you, I'm not abolishing the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish what is written there. I've come to fulfill it. And, uh, Dr. Gibbs has a helpful way of saying that to fulfill uh, is the middle road between abolish and repeat. I think it was him who, who put that in his commentary uh, that he's he's not um, he's not repeating just okay. I'm going to give you another profit, I'm going to give you another kind of dispensation here of the of the Old Testament but you know it's kind of the same thing no and he's not also, he's also not going to take away everything from the Old Testament. he's going to fulfill it And so we'll, we'll get into this uh, a little bit when we see um, you know the when he says why he did not come to abolish the Old Testament word but uh, before getting ahead of myself here the Old Testament story uh, really is of God's dealing with Israel is incomplete until Jesus comes to fulfill it. And that's really what we've been seeing in chapter one, chapter two, several places. Chapter three, chapter four, I just quoted, you know, the Galilee of the Gentiles from Isaiah. He is fulfilling what the scriptures say will happen. And so there is both the continuity and a discontinuity with this Old Testament word. Uh, The continuity is that what was predicted, uh, he is showing that this is now coming to its fulfillment. And so he is, is the very culmination of everything that the Old Testament was, was speaking of, all of the, the uh, teachings in, in, in Moses' law and the Torah, uh, all of the teachings of the prophets, all of the prophecies. He, he is in continuity with that because he is fulfilling all of that. But that there is some discontinuity in that this is something new, not just something new. It is someone new. He is not just any prophet. He is not just a new Moses. He is the very Son of God made flesh, and so He's going to tell them that the this His word relates to the Old Testament word in such a way that He is bringing everything that they that you read from 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 Genesis on, uh, and He is He's bringing it to its its full goal, and uh, but He by doing that something new is here uh, that is not like just another prophet that's come.
0: So then, with that in mind, then, what what does that mean for the disciples of Jesus and the way, then, that they relate to this law and prophets?
1: Yeah, so they should look at Jesus as one who is uh, not coming to uh, say, okay, ignore what the Old Testament said, but rather, let me tell you what the Old Testament said, and let me tell you what it's it's leading up to. And so uh, that's why he says he's not come to abolish it. It's it's firm. It's it's important. It's unchanging. It's unswerving. This is God's commandment. He has not changed in any way what he has commanded. And so he says that until, you know, heaven and earth pass away, nothing, no detail from this uh, law will pass away uh, because he's coming to fulfill it. Uh, Until all things take place in the cross and resurrection, that's, that's what his goal is to do, and that's where it will come to its ultimate climax, the very zenith, is at the cross and resurrection, where he uh, finally uh, says it is accomplished, it is finished, as we hear in John's Gospel there on the cross, and then he rises from the dead to to show forth his vindication that he really has been proven to be the righteous Son of God who came to fulfill all of the Old Testament uh, and most especially the the commandments that we have failed to keep, and has done so for us. Uh, so, for, to look at Jesus as some sort of a um, anti Old Testament, not at all. He is in continuity with it, even as he is bringing it to its its clear fulfillment and and uh, end in Him.
0: Pastor Bryce, we have eight minutes left here on the morning and and we've got verses 19 and 20 particularly to cover still I know you've got a lot of stuff here so I want to make sure you you get what what you want most important from that when when Jesus begins to to talk about relaxing even the least of these commandments that one will be called least in the kingdom of heaven whoever does these commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven he talks about the the righteousness of the disciples exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees what Help us into these last verses with about seven and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the disciples of Jesus are going to want to look at the, the law, the Torah, especially the commandments of, of, of God in the Old Testament, that uh, he's explaining to them what it means to be salt and light. So those who loosen uh, these commandments will be the least, uh, and whoever teaches will be great. Uh, And so loosing the least of these commandments refers to God's will as expressed in the law. Don't do not loose the least means it means to hold fast to all, right? So um, you do not want to be called least in the reign of heaven. Some will say this refers to, to those who are still in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, uh, Some people think it has to do with those who've lost faith. Interpretations will vary, Uh, but either way, the, the great are those who will actually serve, um, be servants, following the holy will of God as it's expressed in his holy word. They will not compromise on it. They will be called great because they want to to be like Jesus who has has not lorded it over us but has served us by doing the holy will of God. And that's how we serve others and how we serve God is by by actually looking to his holy will and and not compromising on it as we see is so prevalent in our, our day and age and has been in every generation to this or that extent. Uh, to, to disregard what God has taught. Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I want. Instead, he like you said, his, Jesus says your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And, you know, some people take this different ways. The one take is kind of the, the Lutheran answer, I think, that a lot of people would give right away would be it's the gospel. Jesus is saying that nobody can be righteous. Therefore, um, you know, the scribes and Pharisees were outwardly really good, and your righteousness needs to be better than that well you can't do that so you must need the righteousness of Christ that covers your sin that's received by faith okay well i mean that's true we do need that and we can't have our own righteousness that would flow from that unless we have Christ's righteousness but in the context here it does seem more like the disciples good deeds that flow from their relationship with Christ himself is what he means by this your righteousness must must surpass uh, that of the scribes and Pharisees and the reason I think that that's, that's the case is is Matthew 6, verse 1, which uh, you'll get into later here, uh, but it says your righteousness. It doesn't just say righteousness. It says your righteousness, and that's the way that Jesus speaks there. He says that beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So practicing your righteousness has to do with the good deeds that flow from the righteousness of Christ that we receive through faith uh, the righteousness that covers our sins and so i would take it more in that sense um we're not saying that good deeds cause salvation we're saying they flow from faith only jesus atoning work brings about our salvation as as is clear in scripture and and in matthew's gospel uh, just in in itself Uh, but what we we do want to say is that the righteousness of christ the righteousness of faith that we believe it, it does then produce in us good works that that uh do surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, who are are only outwardly doing things, but inwardly they are, as Jesus says, they're whitewashed tombs. They look great outside, but inside their their hearts are not being changed, like ours are, through repentance daily, uh, until the day that we enter into eternal life. So how are they supposed to, you know, abound more greatly than the scribes and the Pharisees? It really has to do with whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, whether you actually do believe in Jesus. If you have a, you know, we use the word relationship, we can be careful with that, but what is the relationship of the disciples to Jesus compared to the scribes and Pharisees? The scribes and Pharisees don't believe in Jesus. They don't possess any of his righteousness because they think they have their own righteousness, and that's not a good work. Uh, We need to be reminded as Christians that the good of good works is faith in Christ. That's what makes them good. Or as we say, God considers the person first and then the work. Is the person good in my eyes? Well, he is only through faith in Christ. And then uh, the works that are according to God's will are pleasing in his sight because of Christ, because of what Christ has done. So there's one commentator, uh, Lensky, I, I, don't, I don't read him much, but I, I think it was quoted by uh, Professor Gibbs, actually. Uh, and I really liked what he said here. He says this. He says, the righteousness of which Christ speaks is not the righteousness of life over against the righteousness of faith, but the righteousness of life as manifesting the righteousness of faith. And so our righteousness before God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ from his incarnation to his resurrection. It is imputed to us. It is counted as our own through faith in Jesus Christ. He has atoned for our sin, and we trust in that. And from that righteousness flows whatever righteousness comes forth according to God's will of love toward God and toward our neighbor. And that's what Jesus is, is trying to say, is that, that this is going to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, because their hearts are far from me. They worship me with their with their lips, right? Uh, but they their hearts are far from me. And we might not think our good works are all that great in God's eyes, but boy, they look great to him when they are done in faith clinging to Christ, to righteousness, as the poor in spirit, the blessed, uh, as we should, again, never forget the Beatitudes. Mm. Pastor
0: Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Pastor Preuss, thank you for your time today. Thank you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus says, because you are blessed in him. As those poor in spirit yet filled with christ in the kingdom of heaven this is who you are you are the salt of the earth the earth is deficient and in need of the blessing of christ and it comes to the world through the proclamation of the church of jesus christ you are the light of the world the light is dwelling in the darkness of sin and evil the world needs the light of christ to shine upon it and it shines through the church through the good works that christ gives the church to do simple works works of of love and mercy, works of confession of the faith that the world would hear the word of Christ and so receive his blessing. And through that blessing of Christ comes true righteousness, a righteousness that exceeds even that of the scribes and Pharisees, righteousness that is given through faith in Christ and then flows forth as works of mercy for the sake of God and for the neighbor. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.